All right, Gresham Bible Church, um, good to be together today. Um, please, if you haven't already done so, turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible with you, please grab one on the back table. And if you don't actually have a Bible, please keep that as our gift to you, as everyone should have God's Word. And as we come to God's Word today in Jonah 3, I just want to acknowledge that we all have a lot on our minds and on our hearts today. Uh, me too. And so in God's providence, though, we're in Jonah 3. So it might feel a little off-putting or offsetting that today we're going to hear of God's judgment against a city on a day in our church family that's hard. But we're going to hear God's word. We're Gresham Bible Church. So we're going to sit under the teaching of God's word, and that's what we need most of all. So I want to encourage each of us, and I'm preaching to myself real quick before we get into this, to be here, to be present in this moment, to hear God's word and what he has to say to each of us in this room through his word, okay? Because his word never returns void, and it always accomplishes the purposes for which he sent it, just like Josh prayed for us a few minutes ago. So no matter what we're bringing to church today, each of us, whether it's anxiety or fear or sadness or hurt or shame, what we need, the medicine our souls need, is God's grace and truth that we're going to see today from Jonah chapter 3. So GBC, let's come today with great need. This is a Sunday where it's tangible. We can feel it. Great need and great expectancy to hear from God today in his word, okay? So let me pray for us. Please join me in prayer before we begin. Father God, we need you today. We praise you for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We praise you that your mercies are new every morning and your faithfulness is great. We need to hear today from you through your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear wonderful things today from you through your word. Fix our attention and our affections on you. Lift our eyes from ourselves and our present troubles to you and your eternal purposes and promises. Grow the roots of our lives more securely down into your grace and your truth. Give us hearts to confess, repent, and believe. Open your word to us and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's follow along and read Jonah chapter 3. So have your Bible open in front of you, and let's hear Jonah chapter 3, and then we'll dive in together. This is God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. 
Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So before we explore chapter 3 together, it's really important that we remember where we've been, so we have some brief context. Remember in chapter 1, what did we see? We saw that God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to call out his judgment against that city, against those people. And what does Jonah do? He goes literally 180 degrees in the opposite direction from what God calls him to do, right? He is trying to run from a sovereign God. He tries to flee from the very presence of God. And then as Josh explained back in Jonah chapter 1, who is God calling Jonah to proclaim his judgment against? It's the city of Nineveh that was the capital city of this evil empire of the Assyrians, right? It was a city known for its brutal violence, like Josh shared these examples with us. It was brutal, right? It was a city set against God. And I'm just going to kind of bring us into this moment, because when Josh shared that in chapter 1, he said something that I don't think was quite right. He said he even thinks that the Ninevites make people listen to you too on repeat over and over again. And I just, I heard that. I was like, ah, brother, I love you, but I don't think that's quite right. So I did a little bit of research this week, and I want to share something to you that's probably not surprising at all. Actually, if you want to picture what Nineveh was like, there was an olive garden on every corner. There was, there was. And the reason why is the Ninevites thought that free unending breadsticks made it justified to have bland and lukewarm pasta. So, brother, I love you, but that's really what it was like. So, all right. So think Assyria, Nineveh, think Olive Garden, okay? All right. So, but now that we get that out of the way, Uh, and that's not entirely true, we do come to Jonah chapter 3 after seeing God calling Jonah. Jonah runs from God. Well, God all the harder pursues Jonah, and then in chapter 2, in the belly of a fish, in the depths of the sea, Jonah calls out to God from inside this great fish for God's mercy, and God gives Jonah a second chance, right? So that's bringing us to chapter 3. And as we heard from Jordan last week, the central theme or big idea of the whole book is in chapter 2, verse 9, that tees up chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah proclaims that. He professes that. He praises God for that from the belly of the fish, and then he's vomited up onto the beach. So that's the backdrop that helps set the scene for us going into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we're going to see that God uses the repentance that began inside of Jonah in the depth of the sea. God's going to use that repentance to bring about repentance in the people of Nineveh. We're going to see three points of emphasis today, and all of these three points relate to that central theme in chapter 2, verse 9, that salvation belongs to the Lord. So salvation belongs to the Lord first in the prophet, second in the proclamation, and third in the people. 
So first, in chapter 3, what do we see right out of the gate? Verse 1. Jonah is recommissioned on a beach after he just got vomited up from a fish. I mean, what a scene, right? And that setting for this recommissioning, it's, it's doing something. It's setting the scene for us. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah in this moment, which is pretty amazing and pretty shocking. Look down at the Bible in front of you at verses 1 through 3. What does it say? Then, so right after he gets vomited by this fish, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So this mirrors the beginning of the book back in chapter 1 where God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, but it differs in two really important ways. First, this time God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to call out against Nineveh. Look, what does it say? The message that I tell you. So God's man is to proclaim God's word. And then second, this time when God calls Jonah This time, Jonah obeys and he goes. And think about it. Jonah had just been in the darkness, in the setting none of us, I don't think in this room, have experienced, in the belly of a great fish, right, in the sea, then he's vomited up onto the beach. And then he goes. And he goes to Nineveh, which was a long ways away from this beach that he gets vomited up on. Because Nineveh is like northern Iraq type area, right? So Jonah obeys and he goes. And then look at verse 5. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He delivers God's message to the city. And the people of Nineveh believed God. The capital city of this evil empire, this violent empire, experiences repentance and a mighty revival. This should give us pause. Wow, this actually happened. We have God's word on this. So we have to ask how? Like, what actually is happening here? What's going on? The story of Jonah is the story, again, of chapter 2, verse 9, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jonah shows us that this salvation has to change our hearts first before it changes the hearts of other people. Because it's the restoration of Jonah that's the means for revival in Nineveh. The repentance and restoration of Jonah, it's a process throughout the book, right? It begins in the belly of a fish. It's a process. But something happened to Jonah right before chapter 3, and then something began to begin its work inside of Jonah that we're going to see here in chapter 3. Something's working in Jonah from the inside out. So we have to ask, what changed in Jonah? He ran the other way from God initially. Now he's going to Nineveh obeying God. What changed? Really, in the darkness of the sea, Jonah saw his great need for God's rescue. Jonah cast himself on the only hope that could save him from judgment, God's mercy. It's then in that place of utter dependence, real, true, utter dependence, that God's merciful light breaks through to Jonah's cold heart, and Jonah proclaims, salvation belongs to the Lord, the drumbeat of the book of Jonah. This sets the trajectory here for chapter 3. 
And as we think about the characters in our book, the central character of Jonah, as I've been studying this week, I, I wonder, do you see yourself in Jonah? And I ask that because I see a lot of myself in Jonah. And what I mean by that, if you're all being honest with God's word in front of you, do you see how the gears of your heart work in a lot of the same ways as Jonah? How our impulse is to resist God's work in us and to the world around us. How we run from God's mercy in running to other things for our identity, our security, and our comfort, just like what Jonah was doing. Really, in the control center inside each of us, deep down in our hearts, in what we love, in the worship center of our soul, we're a lot like Jonah in that we believe we have a better plan for our lives than God does. If Jonah didn't think that, he wouldn't have ran. But he ran because he thought he knew better than God. And again, if we're being honest today, we're more like Jonah than probably any of us want to believe. But what happens here in chapter 3? We're seeing the fruit of the root of God's mercy in his life. Once Jonah tastes, even initially, the mercy of God, the course of his life is changed as mercy begin it, begins its long healing process inside of Jonah. It's only then that we're going to see here in chapter 3 that embers of revival are working their way inside of Jonah before that gets outside of him and helps revival in the lives of others as they taste God's mercy. So just like Jonah, we also see that God's mercy is our only hope it really is. God's mercy is our only hope to rescue us from our stubborn, cold, self-righteous, unbelieving hearts who think we know better than God because we're a lot like Jonah. Now here in chapter 3, Jonah, again, he's still on the full path to repentance. He hasn't arrived yet, right? Again, like all of us in this room, he still had the seaweed of unbelief entangling his heart. Jonah was still resisting God's mercy toward others. Jonah is an unfinished product, and Jonah's mer God's mercy is still forming Jonah here on this mission to Nineveh. But again, something happens to Jonah. Something in him had been slain by the grace of God, and the wheels of God's mercy are at work in his heart. So then in chapter 3, as Jonah receives this word from the Lord in verses 1 through 3, he responds in obedience. Jonah is reoriented to the purposes of God's mercy, even in an infant stage. So as I've been thinking about us as a church this week and this moment on this Sunday, how does this apply to us? And I would say it does in a few different ways, but one specifically is that there's many of us in this room who've experienced something similar, haven't we, at some point in our life? Many of us have a story about God's mercy meeting us at the bottom and restoring us, don't we? When we were running from God, when the depth of our darkness was unbearable, God's mercy was deeper still. And maybe that's you today. Even though Jonah 3 can feel maybe out of tune with our moment, it's not. Maybe you're feeling at your lowest, feeling like you're sinking outside of God's reach, feeling like maybe God's mercy is for others, but it's not for you. I pray you'll see yourself rightly like Jonah begins to here in chapter 3, 
and see that God's mercy doesn't depend on anything else other than your need of him, right? That's what's happening here in Jonah 3. So Gresham Bible Church, perhaps for us, we can see ourselves in Jonah in this particular way when we feel like we're at our lowest or in a lonely place. Maybe those are actually God's times where he's working his mercy deeper into us, deeper into our hearts, more fully into our lives, times of preparing us to proclaim his mercy to those around us who so desperately need it, just like we see in the book of Jonah. Because God is pleased to display his mercy through people who have nothing to cling to but his mercy. Isn't that the story we see in Jonah and throughout scripture? So Jonah's awakening to God's mercy leads to the awakening of a people, even the evil, violent, unrighteous people of Nineveh. Salvation really belongs to the Lord, and that truth began to work inside of Jonah so that that work would go through Jonah to other people. There should be a slide that says it. As John Owen once said, that word can only come with power to our hearers when it has come with power to our own hearts. It's what we see happening here in Jonah. And then this brings us to the second point of emphasis here in chapter 3, Jonah's proclamation. So Jonah, he's sent, right? He goes to Nineveh, not on a sightseeing trip. He's not on vacation. He's sent with a mission to proclaim something. Like most cities, picture Nineveh, right? Just like most cities throughout time. It's probably a really busy place. Business is happening. People are going out to eat. People are going on walks, like the day-to-day buzz of life is happening in Nineveh, and these people have no sense of God's presence. Then, little prophet Jonah, I don't think he stinks as much from the whale anymore, but from the long trip probably through the desert, right? Little stinky Jonah shows up to this big, bustling, evil city to declare a word from God. And what is this word that little Jonah is commissioned to proclaim to the people of Nineveh? Look at verse 4. Jonah proclaims eight short words of judgment against the city. What does he proclaim? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So before we consider the response of of the people here in Nineveh, we really have to feel the weight and the gravity of Jonah's proclamation here in the heart of the city of Nineveh. Here in Jonah 3, God's word falls with power and conviction. Eight short words literally bring this city to its knees, this great central capital city of this empire is brought to its knees by eight short words of judgment. Wow! So before this people of Nineveh, they had no sense of the presence of God, right? God felt absence to them. Their lives were really free from caring about God. But then God's word comes through God's messenger and suddenly the people have a profound sense, don't they, of the presence of God and what this means for their lives. So it's not just here in Jonah 3 that God's word was proclaimed. Jonah says what God tells him to send to say it's that the people themselves were actually opened to God's word and what was going to be said. And we have to ask here, I love the book of Jonah. I know that sounds weird. I was sharing with Peter a few minutes ago. When I say I love Ecclesiastes and Jonah, people totally judge me. But Jonah has a lot going on. It's, it's a beautiful book. 
And we have to ask, how does Jonah, who just tasted of God's mercy in the literal belly of a fish, then come to preach a message of judgment? Doesn't that, ooh, that feels off. That doesn't seem consistent. And he really preaches a shocking and sobering message of judgment. And, and why is that? I think it's two things. First, it's because like we already have seen briefly, it's because God's mercy was really still invading Jonah's heart. Jonah still didn't really love that God's mercy would be extended to those he didn't think deserved it, the people of Nineveh. The coin, like Josh likes to say, the coin of God's mercy hadn't really dropped yet from Jonah's head to his heart. And that'll become more clear in chapter four at the end of the book. But then second, why did Jonah, who just experienced God's mercy, why did he proclaim judgment here? And why he did it is because that's what God told him to do, right? God told him to do that in verses one through three. That's what Jonah does. He goes to the heart of the city and he proclaims judgment. And this is because salvation God's salvation comes through judgment and mercy, not one or the other. It's judgment and mercy. That's how God's salvation works. Jonah's message here, when you really think about it, it's not a full gospel message, right? These eight words aren't the gospel. It's God's judgment. It's a message of justice, destruction, impending doom based on the people's response. But look at what's happening here in the text. Look down just a little bit at verses 6 through 9. How does the king of this city respond? The king of Nineveh hears Jonah's message of God's judgment, and the king's message in response, it's actually more hopeful, more specific, more tainted with God's mercy than what Jonah's message was. What does the king do? He calls for a citywide fast and repentance because what does verse 9 say? The king says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king's message carries with it the idea that this God of judgment may be a God of mercy too. The king of this evil city proclaims there's hope for God to show mercy to us. So again, the book of Jonah, it's like a beautiful and complex painting. There are so many layers to it. There's brush strokes of God's judgment, and then there's highlights of God's mercy all happening at the same time. The interplay of salvation through judgment and mercy here in Jonah 3, don't we know that this points us somewhere? Like a ripple points us to the shore. The waves of God's judgment and mercy in Jonah 3, they land on the shore of the New Testament, and this wave finds its ultimate expression at the cross of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? At the cross, God's holy judgment and perfect mercy are reconciled. At the cross, God's justice is completely satisfied, and the fullness of God's grace is glorified. Jonah was right, and the king of Nineveh was right. God is a God of justice and mercy. God's mercy and grace comes to us because God's judgment and justice were fully poured out on Jesus. God's righteous judgment for sin fell on Jesus. 
so that the gift of God's mercy and grace may fall on us. That's beautiful. That's what Jonah is pointing us to. And this mercy and grace comes to those of us, just like the people of Nineveh, just like Jonah, who are undeserving to those who respond to Jesus in faith and repentance. So Jonah 3 shows us that God's salvation, again, it comes through judgment and mercy. That's what's happening here in Jonah. And then this brings us to the third and final emphasis in Jonah 3 today, the people. So, so far in Jonah 3, there's so much going on here, but we've seen that salvation belongs to the Lord as it relates to the prophet, right, to Jonah, and salvation belongs to the Lord as it relates to the proclamation here. Now, what does this mean again for the people of Nineveh? How do they respond? I know probably a lot of us know the end of this story, but just think about it. This great, evil, capital city of Assyria, here's a message of God's judgment. How do they respond? If I had to like predict, like you predict the outcome of your favorite sports team when they play a key game, I would predict they, three things. They'd either laugh at Jonah, like mock laughing, or they would just ignore him. Who's the crazy kook standing on the box at the edge of the corner where Olive Garden is, right? Or they would beat him and throw him in prison and probably kill him, just like they've done to so many other people. But they don't respond in any of those ways. How do the people of Nineveh respond? Look at verse 5. It summarizes their response. And the people of Nineveh, what do they do? They believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. What an amazing and really supernatural response. And notice, it wasn't just the king who responded and then he makes everybody respond because he's the king, right? How does the entire city respond? From the top of like the social structure down to the very bottom, everybody responds. The people of Nineveh really experiencing, experience nothing less than large-scale spiritual awakening here in Jonah 3. In verses 8 through 10, the Hebrew word for repent, it's used four times in a few short verses. The word means to turn. So the king of Nineveh, he calls the people of this violent city to mass repentance, and he does that by telling everybody to wear sackcloth, right? So everyone's called to repent here. And then the people of Nineveh actually respond, and they respond with a revival of repentance. They're grieved by their sin, and they respond with repentance. They turn to God. It's like what 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 says, and there should be a slide for this. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. It was kind of like that that's happening in Jonah chapter 3. True repentance is always a work from God, and this is on full display here in Jonah chapter 3. What an amazing scene. And again, this really happened. We have God's word on it. So to this point in the book, again, we've seen Jonah. He's changed by God's mercy, even in its beginning infant stages. Jonah obeys God and faithfully proclaims the word God gives him to proclaim. And then God's word now falls with power on the hearts of the people of Nineveh. 
and they respond with repentance and cast themselves on the mercy of God. I don't know about you, but don't you want to see something like this? Don't you want to experience something like this in your life? Don't you long to experience repentance in view of God's judgment and his mercy? Wouldn't you agree with me that we need a spiritual awakening in us and in the city around us? That's what Jonah should be stirring up inside of us here. I just want us to consider for a minute how amazing, just imagine with me for a minute, how amazing would it be if the people in your life who don't know Jesus yet, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your classmates, your coworkers, the checker at Fred Meyer, I don't know, the non-Christians in your life, how amazing would it be to have them move from having no sense of God's presence, like the people of Nineveh here, to feeling the weight of the presence of God and responding in repentance. Imagine what that could look like, right? God did that here in Jonah 3. And Jonah also points us to, do you know where something like that starts? Where does that start? In us. It's in the church. It's in the people of God, just like it started in Jonah before it went to Nineveh. A revival of repentance, when we really think about it, it's already started in each of us in this room who love Jesus, right? It started in each of us when we believed in Jesus, our need for God's mercy, when God took a few short words, whenever you heard that gospel message, maybe from your mom or dad or at a camp or from a friend or at a church service, God took those words and he arrested your heart with the gospel. That's revival that's already been happening in you as a Christian. But then what happens when it moves to a larger scale, like what we're seeing here in Jonah 3? And uh, pastor and author Sinclair Ferguson he has an awesome Scottish accent. I don't, so my apologies. I'm going to read this to you without a Scottish accent. He said this, what happens in revival. From one point of view, it is simply the magnifying and multiplying of what happens whenever God breaks suddenly into our lives. So just like what happens when each of us in this room that's become a Christian, just like that, there are four effects that we see happening here in Jonah 3 at a larger scale. There's four things. There's illumination right? They see God rightly and themselves rightly. There's conviction in view of the holiness and mercy of God. There's spiritual mourning for their sin. And then there's faith and repentance of turning from your sin and to God for his mercy and grace. Jonah 3, doesn't it? It clearly and compellingly shows us that revival starts first in God's people, before revival can start in a city. Like, let that just sit on you for a minute. If we want revival in and around us, it has to start in us. This is what God's word is showing us. And again, I'm curious, how does this land on you? How do you receive this this morning, this morning, this afternoon? What's your response to it? The people of Nineveh had a response. We should respond as well. Would you say that the revival that's in your heart is the revival you want to see across our city? If it's not, like we should take that before the Lord in view of God's mercy. And then how do you pray for something like this? Right? We should want this. This is who we're 
who we are as Christians and as the church. We're to advance the gospel like this. And really, we should be praying like the saints who've gone before us, the saints of old, like the Christians in the country of Wales who experienced a revival many years ago. The Welsh churches prayed this, bend the church and save the people. Bend the church and save the people. So GBC, again, I know this could feel tone deaf today, but it's not. Because we're all probably experiencing this mix of emotions, but this is what God has for us today. He has Jonah 3 for us, a message in God's gracious and good providence, a message of his mercy. So I I would ask you to um, be praying for each other and with me for God to bend us, for God to break us with his mercy so that people come to know Jesus. Ah, Brian, I told you I was going to cry. And really, will the sin of Jonah that's in each of us, I hope you've seen it in Jonah 3, the sin that's in Jonah is inside each of us. So will the sin of Jonah that's in each of our hearts become the sign of Jonah so that people in our city come to know Jesus. That's what Jonah 3 is saying to us here. Only when the church is bent by the holiness and mercy of God will the power of God be seen in the world. You have to believe that or not. This is the kind of like long-burning rocket fuel that fuels the Great Commission and who we're called to as individual believers and the church We're all sent for a purpose. Like in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, this is Jesus. Jesus says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The whole creation includes Gresham, and it includes the whole West Coast and beyond, okay? This is what Jonah 3 is calling us to. Man, I didn't want to cry. Here we are. So Gresham Bible Church, please join me in praying for us like today and for the next days and weeks and months and years, bend the church and save the people. And as we move to a close, we have to ask ourselves, where do we get the power to pray that, let alone believe that, let alone to be about that, right? Where do you get the power for that? And as we move to a close, the end of Jonah 3, it's going to show us Jesus again, right? Jesus is so good and so gracious. He's so merciful. He doesn't ever call us to something that he hasn't already done perfectly, right? So there's a sentness to Jonah 3. So let's enjoy the end of it and focus on Jesus. So in Jonah 3, haven't we seen the theme played out? Salvation belongs to the Lord. We've seen that played out as it relates to the prophet, the proclamation, and the people. And how does it end? And just like the book of Jonah, there's like an irony, awkwardness to it. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So what is verse 10 saying? I'll tell you what it's not saying. It's not saying that God changes his mind. It's not saying God changes his mind like a tired dad. God doesn't change his mind like I do when our younger kids want to go to bed and they ask for just five more minutes, dad, and they ask 
you know, how can there be suffering if God's good? Because they want another five minutes of bedtime. And they ask and they ask, and I change my mind. That's not what's happening here. God is not like a tired dad, okay? Verse 10 isn't saying God changes his mind like that. Instead, when it says God relented, relented means that God ceased activity, ceased his activity of active judgment against the people. So we've seen that in his righteousness, right, God's righteous. In his righteousness, he told Jonah to speak this righteous word of judgment against the city because of their sin. But by relenting, it's saying that God then extends mercy. He extends grace from the righteous judgment. He's not changing his mind like a tired dad. He always accomplishes his purposes. So really, Jonah is forcing us to wrestle with the core question in each of our lives. How can God be a righteous judge against sin and also a God of mercy to sinners? Again, the book of Jonah doesn't it has gospel fingerprints like all over it, and it takes us to the very heartbeat of God. In the gospel, we see the perfect satisfaction of God's judgment and perfect display and extension of his mercy, don't we? And God's mercy, it's not a cheap mercy. It's not like, again, God's a tired dad changing his mind. Oh, I guess I'll be merciful today. They wore me down. No, God's mercy is not a cheap mercy. God's mercy is grounded in our crucified and risen Savior. Think about this. Jonah was the reluctant and imperfect messenger of God's word to the people. Who was Jesus? He's the true and better messenger sent to bring God's mercy. Jesus was the joyful messenger who went to the cross for the joy sent before him. Jesus was the very word of God sent to not just proclaim God's judgment against sin, but to satisfy God's righteous judgment by taking on himself the full penalty for sin each of us deserve. And then Jesus purchases a perfect mercy for us that none of us deserve, and a mercy that's full and never-ending and will go on and on into eternity. Like, that's amazing. Jonah points us to Jesus. The only hope for relief from God's judgment against our sin and against our unbelief is Jesus. The only foundation for a life of repentance like this and mission and sentness is the mercy of Jesus. A mercy, again, that meets us in the depths when we're running from God, when we're questioning God. A mercy that satisfies the deepest, deepest desires of each of our hearts. A mercy that fuels a life of repentance. And a mercy that compels us to proclaim the gospel to those around us who need God's mercy. The revival we all need starts when we surrender our mercy-hungry hearts to Jesus. Then God's mercy floods into our lives and then it overflows into the world around us, just like what we're seeing here in Jonah 3. So GBC, those who know God's mercy, like us, are sent to proclaim God's mercy to a merciless world. And this is because, again, salvation belongs to the Lord. And salvation only comes through the judgment and mercy found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Please join me in prayer. Father, we praise you today 
on this particular Sunday that salvation belongs to you and you alone. We confess and repent of our sin of not fully trusting in you, of our tendency to not truly rest in the power and wonder and fullness of your mercy. Comfort us today with your mercy. We trust you with our sadness, with our hurts, with our doubts, with our anxieties, with our misplaced shame, and with our unbelief. Lord, bend the church and save the people. Revive us today with your inexhaustible and invincible mercy. I ask that you will strengthen us today with the truth, goodness, and beauty of who Jesus is. We praise you for the amazing grace of the gospel. Father, if there are any here today that haven't trusted yet in Jesus, I pray that you will draw them to yourself by your spirit and make the glory and goodness of Jesus irresistible to them. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.